As we turn to scripture today, we are reading from the book of Philippians, where Paul is writing a letter to his friends, and repeatedly, Paul offers them joy. Let us hear this word from scripture. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work on your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work to God's good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world, holding forth the word of life so that I, Paul, may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a libation, a sacrifice, and over the service of your faith, I rejoice, and I rejoice together with all of you. And you should rejoice and rejoice together with me. Please pray with me. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In this summer sermon series on joy, we are no doubt trying to highlight the kind of joy found in the book of Philippians. And the title, Joy Anyway, is a reminder that joy is not achieved at some level of purity or in some place where we can hide away with just our joy and ignore the hard stuff, but instead that an integrated joy, an authentic joy is found most fundamentally here. Here amid the everyday, here amid the chaos, here amid the hard, joy is made possible in fact Joy is most critical in this, the most tender space of impossibility. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, we hear this loud and clear. Paul's joy is put in stark relief by his location. He is in jail and his life is at stake. He might be and eventually will be put to death because of his hope in Jesus Christ, his longing to live like Jesus lived, and his desire to build community in the way Jesus built community. Yet over and over again, Paul says not only that joy is possible, but that joy is actually being made real, being made complete in his midst from that first century jail. And today, in chapter 2, Paul claims to be rejoicing, even as he, as being poured out, sacrificed, killed as a result of his faith, Paul is rejoicing. He rejoices because his friends in Philippi shine like stars amid the world's hardships. Paul rejoices because they are doing the work of the gospel. They are caring for the poor, sharing resources, feeding the hungry, giving hope to the hopeless, making a way through darkness with each other in community. 
The Philippian community works toward the good vision Jesus set in their midst, and even when it feels impossible to do so, they make a way out of no way. Paul rejoices then because his labor is not in vain. His life has purpose and his sacrifice has meaning. Christ's vision is being fulfilled there in Philippi. And so this text is a reminder that religion and spirituality is not just happening in some ethereal, out-there realm, nor is faith just an internal, unseen murmur of the heart where God meets us in the quiet moments. The stuff of God is not somehow beyond reach or only at some deeper level, but instead, faith, this faith thing, this religion thing, this following Jesus is the stuff of hands and feet delivering bread and water. Faith is a bed in which to rest. Faith is a visit to jail or hospital. Faith is food in a food desert, debt relief for the one on the brink of bankruptcy. You and the person sitting next to you have an opportunity every day to allow this kind of joy to seep into the everyday work of the gospel that is at work in you. And so today we see this language of work spread throughout the text in Philippians, and it pushes us to think about where joy might be at work for us. For some of us, joy at work literally means joy at work, joy in our place of employment. For some of us, Our place of employment is a place of joy where we feel we're all in it together. There is camaraderie and synchronicity at that Wednesday afternoon team meeting. Everyone works together with a purpose. It might mean that at work you find joy because your gifts and skills line up perfectly with the day's task. And so you can hum along, tending to business in a way that is vibrant and passionate. But for some of us, joy is not necessarily vocational. It doesn't have to do with the actual work that we do every day, but instead joy is found in the in-between. Joy is found at work because we are the kind of people who can look for joy in the midst of things. We can look for joy anyway. And so even if your place of employment is not a place that brings you joy, if you work from home, maybe joy means walking your dog after your 10 o'clock meeting, or eating lunch with the one you love, or being home to see your kids as they get off the school bus. If you're back in the office, maybe Joy at Works happens because you run into a friend on the train, or you walk from one meeting to another downtown, and you feel the hum and buzz of the city, and you remember that you are part of something that is bigger than yourself. Maybe you find joy when you are at work at something completely different. When you are in that place where your hobbies bring you joy. Or maybe you are at work at a new relationship that is bringing you joy. Or maybe you are finding joy at work when you commit yourself anew to a volunteer opportunity, a new role where your heart can sing. 
Joy at work might mean caring for your family. The work of family is always a place where joy can be found in the in-between because it's not always easy caring for an aging parent or a young child or a college student in crisis or an adult daughter who just gave birth to her first child, your first grandchild. Maybe joy at work happens as you work on yourself in this season because last month or last year was hard and now you are picking up the pieces that are left and knitting your life back together and you are finding in the in-between an echo of joy in the midst of this work of knitting your life back together after it all came unraveled in the face of loss and loss and loss and loss. Joy does not arise in a vacuum away from sorrow and struggle. Joy and sorrow intermingle, and joy arises from the work of this life. Some of you know that I have two babies at home, and I am perpetually reminded that their, heart, their work is kind of hard. It looks to us on the outside like the joys of childhood. But the work of babies is to learn to crawl, to stand, to walk, to talk, to eat, to sleep, to move an object from one hand to another. But as adults, we only remember how much work these kinds of tasks take when they are taken from us through injury or illness, your arthritis or your carpal tunnel reminding you that moving an object from one hand to another is actually a gift, a skill, something of deep joy. Your broken hip, maybe, a reminder that walking is not something to take for granted. Your insomnia, a reminder that sleep is a gift and a gift and a gift and a joy. Your cancer treatment-induced nausea, a reminder that every meal that you share with your family brings a kind of joy that you never realized was there. In adulthood, our work for a season might be learning to eat after a stroke or learning to walk after a fall or learning to slow down after chronic illness changes everything. Joy at work, then, is embedded in the really real and the truly hard an impossible kind of joy breaks through when we least expect it. This sermon series on joy is in part inspired by poet Ross Gay, who writes about gratitude and delight and joy. And he says that some people have accused him of turning up the volume on joy too loud at a time in human history when the sorrows are great. And we know Climate change, racism, global economic uncertainty, mass incarceration, wars and rumors of wars, international tensions, post-pandemic inequalities, mental health crises. There is, some say, too much to talk about. And so joy should take a back seat for the time being while we fix the sorrows that are ahead. But Roske takes a different slant, suggesting instead that joy is radical and necessary, 
a radical and necessary act of resistance and belonging. Joy is a radical and necessary act of resistance and belonging. I think Paul, who wrote his letter to Philippians, might agree. The discipline of capturing joy, of developing your delight muscle, seems natural to Paul. Metabolizing joy seems possible to him from that place of imprisonment. Slowing down and carrying one another through is exactly how we will make it through any number of sorrows. Roske suggests that joy is the feeling of luminosity that comes from us when we help carry each other's sorrows. It's a feeling of luminosity there within when we carry one another's sorrows. So for him, joy is always at work in community. Joy always happens together. He even says that on those days when we want to go and be alone, when we want to take a walk in the forest by ourselves and drink deep of the joy found in solitude, even then, in that solitary place, Roske suggests that what is joyful about solitude is not the being alone, but that what is joyful about solitude is actually finding a mutual holding, a connectedness, that unfolds within the forest where we remember that we are every moment brought into a kind of presence that is almost beyond our capacity to recognize. Joy is communal and my joy can feed off of your joy and your joy can feed my joy and we practice delight together. For example, when one of you this spring forwarded me a short video clip of Clay Sherb standing at graduation. My joy was deep. My heart was full. A high school student standing to receive his diploma is an everyday thing. It happened all across the country this spring. But Clay suffered this impossible spinal cord injury almost a year ago now, the worst kind. And his standing at graduation was at the level of miracle. And in fact, the work, the labor, the care, not just of clay, but of a wide community of hope, a community laboring for the sake of someone else, doctors, nurses, family members, friends, students, teachers, strangers, others who've had similar spinal cord injuries, a whole community all found joy in that one moment when Clay stood to receive his diploma. The joy of that moment was intermingled with multiple sorrows of the months that came before, but it was joy nonetheless, and it was a joy felt by hundreds. Someone else's joy can light up your joy. And the discipline of capturing joy allows us to see the reality of our own connectedness to one another, our mutuality, our need for one another. So may this week be a chance for you to find again that mutual connection and to be part of the communal joy, not just of yourselves, but of others. 
may you shine like stars, and may you find that necessary act of resistance on your path toward the light. Amen. <laughs>